It's the anniversary of the premiere of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Disney's first full-length feature film. So we're talking with the executive director from the Walt Disney Family Museum on This Is Today. Welcome to This Is Today, the podcast that features the stories that make this day unique. It is Monday, December 21st, 2020. I'm Russ, and here's what you need to know about today. Wow, we have got quite a lot of national days to talk about today. First of all, National Crossword Puzzle Day. Yeah, so it's an excuse to sit around and do a crossword puzzle. There's even some apps that you can do this on now. You don't have to wait for the newspaper. Uh, That's old school, right? You can do this on those apps. So do that today. It's oddly also National Short Girl Appreciation Day. (laughs) I don't know why we have a day for that, but okay. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Okay. It is also Wreaths Across America Day. And this is a day to remember our fallen U.S. veterans, honor those who have served, and to teach our children the value of freedom. Wreaths are laid at cemeteries across the United States, including at Arlington National Cemetery. Uh, You can volunteer and help out with this wreath laying um, in your community. Uh, Just go to wreathsacrossamerica.org for more information on that one. Okay, and this may give us some light into that short Girl Appreciation Day. It's actually, it's the shortest day of the year today. It's winter solstice today. And there's something special about this winter, winter, winter. (laughs) I just made that up. This winter solstice is that Jupiter and Saturn are going to be lined up in the sky. And it's going to create a really pretty view of the planets. This is the first time that this has been visible to humans since 1226. Yes, that long ago, 1226. We know this because Keith Richards saw it. Yes, the next time it's going to be available to us to see is 2400, which coincidentally is during uh, the next Rolling Stones reunion tour. So be sure to look up in the sky about an hour after sunset tonight, and you will be able to see Saturn and Jupiter lined up right next to the moon. It's going to be really cool. All right, let's take a look at our events for today. In 1937, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the world's first full-length animated feature, premiered at the Carthay Circle Theater in Los Angeles. As I mentioned in the open, we're going to be talking with the executive director from the Walt Disney Family Museum right after the break. Uh, We will do that, and you will learn more about Snow White and about Walt. Okay, But first, let's cover some of these other events for today. In 1958, Charles de Gaulle was elected president of the French Fifth Republic. Let's go now 10 years down the line here to 1968. Apollo 8 took off on this day towards the moon. Yeah, they circled the moon 10 times on Christmas Eve. They even did a live broadcast that was viewed by millions here on Earth. On this day in 1991, actress Jane Fonda married CNN magnate Ted Turner. Yeah, that marriage uh, lasted 10 years. This was the third marriage for both of them. You know, Ted never remarried after this one. I guess it's like three strikes, you're out. I don't know. Yeah, well, speaking of strikes, San Francisco Giants announced plans to build a new stadium that would open in 2000. They did that announcement in 1995 
on this day. Love the new stadium. It is awesome. As I mentioned, I'm a baseball fan. I like to bring up baseball when I can, and I'm a San Francisco Giants fan. Take that, Dodgers. (laughs) (laughs) All right. When we come back, we're going to be talking with the executive director of the Walt Disney Family Museum in the Presidio in San Francisco. It's a fantastic museum, and I am excited to talk to her. I would love to get back to this place very soon. Right now, they're closed because of COVID, but they've got some great virtual experiences on their website at waltdisney.org, and we'll learn more about all of that right after this. All right, and welcome back. As I mentioned earlier, in 1937, the Disney classic Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs made its debut in Los Angeles, California. The movie was a success, both at the box office and it was well-received by the critics also. And you know, this means that I get to talk Disney, so that is even better. And I am talking to the executive director from the Walt Disney Family Museum at the Presidio in San Francisco, Kirsten Kamarowski. Did I say your last name right? You did. Thanks, Russ. Awesome. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So yeah, whenever I can talk Walt Disney on the podcast, I love to do it. Snow White, that movie... I remember watching it as a kid. I remember the first time I saw it. And, you know, there's very little things that you remember as a kid. This movie was fantastic. And the premiere, I am sure, was just fantastic as well. What happened at the uh, premiere of Snow White? Well, the premiere was a really exciting event. It was Walt's first feature-length animated film, and there was a lot of excitement for it. And so people started arriving hours before the showtime, and they wanted to be part of the festivities. There was animation art that was on view, and there were personal appearances by Mickey, Minnie, Donald, and the Seven Dwarfs. And it was a star-studded event. Uh, Shirley Temple was there, Marlene Dietrich, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., Claudette Colbert, Charlie Chaplin, and Charlie Chaplin said that it surpassed even his highest expectations and thought that Dopey was one of the greatest comedians of all time. That's pretty big coming from Charlie Chaplin. (laughs) I can't disagree. But Walt was nervous. A lot of people had doubts that this would be a success, but he was happy to talk to the press and got so excited that he forgot the dwarf's names, which uh, ended up being an endearing moment. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I hadn't heard that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I can name all the dwarfs, so <laughs> good job, Walt, for uh, trying that. What was his role in the creation of this movie? He was very involved in the creation of this movie. He was, he was inspired by the silent film version of Snow White, which he had seen in Kansas City much earlier in 1917. And it made a profound impact on him. He was only 15 years old at the time. So in the mid 1930s, Walt got together his core group of artists at the the studios on Hyperion Avenue. Mm -hmm. He would actually act out the characters and he would voice characters and show gestures that he wanted them to make. He was really involved and the artists were taken aback. They were spellbound by his performances. So he was extremely involved in the production of Snow White. I always found his management style fascinating because thinking about putting together one of these films, it's got to be pretty darn difficult to do because you've got the artists, you've got the voices, you've got and also, you know, planning out the premiere, figuring out all of these things. How did Walt manage production of films? Well, again, you know, Snow White, he was 
kind of involved in every detail. Um, there's a, an org chart you can Google for the production of a film, but at the top, there's the story and Walt, you know, is the story guy. And then the direction and the output is the film, but all around the perimeter are, you know, everybody who contributes to a film, the animators, but also the nurses, the traffic officiants. And so he has this really interesting org chart, circular org chart that showed what his vision was for the production of a film. Then, of course, as time passed, he was less involved. But in the early days, he really put everything into it, including a lot of money, which made his brother Roy extremely nervous. But he, <laughs> right. he just wanted to create the highest quality, enduring animated films that that he could and uh he spared no expense there had been some difficulties in the past with uh with money and and bankruptcies and issues with other studios that they had and they really wanted to do everything right so roy kind of headed up that part and walt became the face of uh walt disney we all kind of know uh, so much about walt and so much about the man because of disneyland and the movies and things like that you being executive director of the Walt Disney Family Museum, uh, that's that's an interesting role. So who was Walt to you? Oh, I think Walt was really one of the greatest Americans and maybe people to ever live. He left us such a rich legacy in inter- entertainment, his technological curiosity and advances, his vision. And he exposed us to art and history, other cultures, um, diversity of thought. He had a number of different types of artists on staff. And then conservation issues, um, the theme parks. But I think what's really, really important about Walt is that he never gave up. To your point, he had a lot of challenges, and not just early on. Throughout his life, he was faced with pretty significant challenges. And to see how he would persevere through these struggles, it it really is staggering and it's inspirational. He came from very humble beginnings, but you know, he changed the world. There are, I think, very few people you could find across the globe who don't know what Disney is. Um, but another aspect yeah. of Walt that, you know, I think was part of the impetus for Diane establishing the museum is that he was a family man. He was a kind person and, you know, it's not always a trait of visionaries or geniuses. So you mentioned Diane, his daughter. She's the one that kind of came up with the idea for the museum and put this all together, right? Right. Because I've heard the stories about Walt kind of coming up with the ideas about Disneyland. He was taking his daughters to the park. Yeah. uh, Diane and her sister Sharon, he would take them to Griffith Park and they would ride the carousel. And he would sit on a bench and we would dream about a place where families could go together, a clean, enjoyable place where families could all enjoy the activities and the experience. Well, he definitely uh, knocked that one out of the park. (laughs) You know, I can't walk into Disneyland and not just go back to my childhood and then like walking in there now with my kids. It's like, it's just incredible. And you, you sort of get that same sense when you're at the Walt Disney Family Museum, and you guys have really done a good job of taking that Walt Disney like eye for perfection in the museum. The thing that I've got to mention is that scale model of Disneyland. That thing is so cool, and it, it takes you back. Is that the original Disneyland park? No, that it's um, we call it the Disneyland of Walt's imagination. So those are all 
attractions that Walt had some hand in. So it actually goes through 1968. He, he passed away in December of 1966, but they were working on attractions at that time. So it encompasses all of the attractions, whether they're there now or not, that Walt had a part in. Didn't that take over a year to put together that, well, that I, model? Yeah, ironically, the model took as long to build as Disneyland Park took to build. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, when you look at that thing, you can tell that there's, a high, it's a high level of detail in this model. So it, it it's not, it doesn't surprise me that it took a long time to put together. It's funny that it took just as long as it, you know, did to build the actual park. That's pretty funny. You know, you must know a lot of stories about Walt. Uh, what's one of your favorites? Oh, there's so many really heartwarming stories. But I just heard a story the other day from um, the son of somebody who worked with Walt. And they were coming back from a business trip when he was a young boy. And that's back when you got to go to the gate to meet the arrivals. So this young boy um, went to LAX and got to see Walt walk off the plane with his dad. But he said there was a young girl with Walt and nobody really knew who it was. And they went down to baggage claim and it turns out she was traveling alone. And so Walt just unquestioningly took it upon himself to escort her and make sure that she got safely to oh, wow. And I think that just really sums up Walt. He, he's, he had the, these values that were unshakable. I mean, he didn't even probably think about it. It was so you know, innate to who he was. I think that really captures Walt's personality and, and you know, his kind spirit. Oh, yeah. You know, the nice thing about a story like that is you have these high opinions of people and who they are and what they represent and what their values are. And then you hear stories like that and it's like, okay, I, I was right in my assumptions. <laughs> That's pretty nice. Let's talk about the museum a little bit. Uh, why was this museum founded? So Diane was trying to figure out the best way to honor her father and his legacy and she thought about writing a book, but with all things Disney, it turned into something much bigger and more spectacular. And she had been involved with the Walt Disney Concert Hall, the design, and watched the construction of that. We all know how that turned out. It's just the most spectacular concert hall. So I think that that kind of gave her the idea that she'd like to create a physical space to honor him. And this was her you know, homage to her father. And when people would ask her why she didn't write a book about her father, she would say, this museum is my book. Disney Corporation doesn't own the museum, right? It's its own entity? Right. It's a separate nonprofit that was established by the family. And although the company is incredibly supportive, they're a wonderful friend, to the museum, we're not affiliated with the company. You don't have the Disney money behind you. This is driven by, I'm assuming, memberships and visits and things like that, right? right? Donations and memberships and, and then revenue when we're open. Right. So being in San Francisco, you've probably been shut down since mid-March. Is there anything virtually that you can do? Anything you offer on your website for people to take a look at and learn from? Yeah, we have very rich virtual programming. We closed in early March, but we quickly moved to the virtual platforms. And so we've at this point reached uh, almost half a million people through our virtual programs. And so we have our Happily Ever After Hours programs with 
unbelievable guests. It's just incredible the the not only the number, but the guests who have agreed to be a part of that have been just really given some amazing programs. Just last night we had Glenn Keane. Those programs have been very successful and well-received. And then we did a fundraiser back in August with Alan Menken, and there was a special appearance by Lin-Manuel Miranda. That fundraiser was far more successful than we thought it would be. And then we have classes and workshops. We had summer camp virtually last summer, and we have an escape room and some other group activities. So it's all on our website if people are interested to browse or participate. I also see that you guys have some community exhibitions on the website as well. Can you tell us a little about those? Yeah, so while we've been closed, we've debuted two virtual community art exhibitions, and they feature the work from artists from all around the globe. And it's the art is displayed in a detailed digital rendering of the Diane Disney Miller Special Exhibition Hall. So it's as if your art is really on display in that space. So the first exhibition debuted in June, and that was The World of Tomorrow. And that showcased artwork inspired by Walt's visions for tomorrow. And the second exhibition, It's a Small World, is available on our website now. And that showcases artwork inspired by the hope for a just and equitable today. So that virtual exhibition is up now, and I would encourage people to go and view it. It's really beautiful. That's awesome. And as far as donations, you can also, I'm assuming, donate on the website as well. That's right. Okay. So we'll put a link to that in the description for the podcast. Because you mentioned Disneyland. Do you have a favorite ride? It's a small world. Okay. So I love It's a Small World, but Pirates is my pick. (laughs) Pirates is fun. (laughs) Yeah, on our last trip, uh, my son and I got to go on a boat all by ourselves. We were the only one on the ride. We went really late at night. It was awesome. You know, another thing that I've taken my kids to is this Walt Disney Family Museum, and it is a great time. Once this place opens up again, you do have to go check it out. And in the meantime, be sure to visit their website at waltdisney.org and check out all of those virtual experiences that they've set up for you. Hey, Kirsten, thank you so much for joining me today. Russ, thank you. And I can't wait to host you at the museum again. I can't wait to get back there. (laughs) All right, let's take a look at our birthdays for today. Ray Romano, everybody loves that guy. turned 63 today. Emmanuel Macron is 43. Kiefer Sutherland is 54. Caitlin Deaver, 24. Jane Fonda turns 83 today. Samuel L. Jackson is 72. Frank Zappa, who died in 1993, was born in this day in 1940. The tennis player Chris Everett was born in 1954, turning 66. And Andy Dick is 55. That's your look at December 21st. Thanks for listening to This Is Today. We do our best to pull together all the correct information. If we made a mistake and you heard it, you're super smart and we're super sorry. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a five star if you think we deserve it. If you'd like to make sure that we cover something on a future episode, let us know. Go to thisistodaypodcast.com to make suggestions, give us feedback, and see our other podcasts. I hope you enjoyed learning about today. I'm Russ, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.